thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. Well, we are back in the book of Romans. Ah, yes, friends, where we were before Lent. We're back in the book of Romans. And this is a book this year. We're doing it in an expository fashion. That means we're basically going through it passage by passage or verse by verse. If you want to sound very scholarly, like a Bible scholar, you can say, we're studying the different pericopes from the book of Romans. That's fancy scholar talk for passages that make sense together. That's all that really means. But in reality, we want to understand what the book of Romans being a circular letter. It was written to the church at Rome, but it was sent around to the different churches. It is a foundational, it's a personal book, it's a powerful book, but it's a doctrinal book. It lays out how scripture throughout God's word ties together so we would understand how the Bible works. The book of Romans is very important to us as Reformed, as Presbyterian people, because it sets that consistent arc of Scripture that God is at work in this covenant of grace. You may remember we talked about this, this idea of creation, and as the kids talked about the fall of mankind, the redemption that Christ purchased back, the sin, death, and darkness were defeated. Christ purchased back our righteousness at his expense at the cross of Calvary, that redemption, and we wait for Christ to come again for the restoration of all things, the new heavens, the new earth, when all sin and death and darkness is finally put down once and for all and things are restored to how it was before the fall. There's this arc that puts Christ at the center of Scripture that we understand, and it's what the book of Romans talked about. We just had that climax at Easter, and now we're going to be looking at what it means for us as God's people to live in that meanwhile, longing for that restoration, sure of that redemption, and what it means for us to understand how sin affects our world. And though we are people redeemed by God, we're still sinners. And the book of Romans calls us to ask the question, what does it mean for us to belong to Jesus Christ? What's it mean for us to follow him? It's hard to think about it, but sin just makes our lives miserable. Think about everything in our world that's bad. What's at the root of it? It's sin. It's sin. And it's painful. And if you're like me, you don't like to think about things that are painful and difficult. So this morning, as we enter back in the book of Romans, I want to ask you, was there a time in your life when something was so painful, so difficult, so hurtful, frustrating, upsetting, that you would have said or done anything to make it better? I'm sure you all have something like that that you're thinking of, something that you would say, I would do anything to make that better. And at the root of sin in our world, it breaks down relationships, and it makes relationships difficult, and they can be painful. Part of that is because we're such different people. Even in the same families, we're different people. The church at Rome was the same way. It was made up of some very different people. It's the same struggle we have in the church today. We come from different backgrounds. We have different experiences that have shaped us, that have shaped our understanding of God, sometimes inconsistently with what God's word teaches. And so in the midst of this idea of God restoring all things, of us living in that meanwhile, the things that hurt us, that we would do anything to make them right, we want to understand how that Easter story that we just talked about, how it unites us beyond our differences, beyond our hurts, beyond the brokenness. And that's what Paul wanted the church in Rome to understand. One of the trickiest things about the church at Rome is it was made up of very different people. See, the church in Rome was made up, it was a very cosmopolitan place as we talked about. You had people that were Jewish believers 
And they were the people that were raised to believe that if they followed all those Old Testament rules, that God was going to be just a little happier with them. Just a little happier. They were the rule followers. They were good. They knew what it meant to follow all the rules. And then also in the church at Rome were people who maybe had come from somewhere else in the world. Maybe they were raised in more of that Greek worldview or the Roman worldview. They maybe didn't follow all those rules. They were a little wilder. They may have smoked, drank, and chew and went with girls who do or, or whatever. You know, they were, you know, I, I that's, people still, I, I'm, I use phrases my grandparents used. And like West Virginia and Kentucky sometimes. So I'm like, I'm real sorry if that throws y'all off when I do that. I don't mean to. It happens. I'm sorry. But this idea that we all want to understand how to belong. And we are still sinners. And it's not that, you know, behavior isn't bad. It's not that those things don't matter to God. And bad behavior usually gets bad results. But the thing is, we're called to something different. What Paul wanted the church at Rome to understand is belonging to him was a heart matter. So this morning, I want you to draw it on your bulletin, whatever you want, draw a heart or something and think about what Paul wants the church at Rome, what he wants us to understand is this idea of heart. And we're going to look today, we're going to look at the book of Romans quickly and then we're going to go into the, today's passage. And the idea of that has to do with relationships as he talked about what it means to follow Jesus and out of love and out of our hearts and not out of just responding to the rules or going through the motions, or doing what people expect. And he wanted the people to understand that. Despite our own hearts, despite our own brokenness, he wants us to know that it's about our hearts. And he wants to talk us about our hearts and our relationships. And today he's going to talk about the most intimate relationship of all. And I didn't plan this with the way it fell on the calendar, but he's going to talk about marriage, but not because he's giving us rules for marriage, this is an analogy, as we're going to see, for our spiritual lives. So let's look here at the beginning of Romans chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that's those Jewish folks, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and she marries another man. She is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What is this all about? What's it mean for us to die to this written code, to live to the one who was raised from the dead. We know, of course, that that is Jesus. We know what it means that it means Jesus. So let's look back here quickly through the book of Romans. In the first three chapters, Paul wants to see that we're all sinners. If you don't believe me, go to the grocery store today. Actually, go to Costco. If you want to see the intersection of sinners in the world, go to Costco. Oh my gosh, the bigger the shopping cart, the harder they hit you. I don't know what it is. Sam's Club, too. No offense. I mean, I, lo I, love, I love Sam's Club. But I mean, it's just, it's just what happens. But this idea of sin, 
It's the idea of sin. It doesn't matter how nice a home we grew up in or how nice things looked on the outside. This stuff with sin is that we, we don't like to admit that we're sinners. We don't want to understand that we're sinners. And so the Jewish Christians, they want to have this idea of, you know, we are just a little bit more together. And they got in that comparison game. Do you guys remember this? You know, I'm, I'm a sinner. I call this the uh, talk show Christianity. You watch a talk show because you think your life's terrible until you see the people that come on Dr. Phil. Woo, look at that one. Have you ever seen the commercial for Dr. Phil? Tomorrow on Dr. Phil. And you see the people and you're like, who are these people? I, I yelled at the TV. I used to go to my, I told you guys before, I'd go visit my mom when she was alive and she'd be like, Dr. Phil's on. These people are crazy. Call me later. But part of that makes us feel better, right? You've been there, right? But what Paul sets up in the first three chapters of Romans, he wants us to understand all of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how we cover it up or how we want it to look or how we want it to feel. He says, no, 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 no. You're all sinners. That idea of sin, armatia, the word there in the original language is the idea of an archer shooting at a target. We, don't, we do archery still. So I thought of my world, so you can see maybe up here in the pictures, this is my friends uh, Steve and I and my son, that's actually Robert there, and we shoot target, and you see the arrow there shows you how far away the target is. So that's 350 yards, which is about the distance that an AR-15 rifle is meant to shoot. We are shooting at the maximum distance, and you have to have skill to hit the target well at that distance. It's not like shooting at 100 yards, which is how you sight a gun like that. That's 350 yards. It's a long way. So if you want to hit the target, you've got to really know how to shoot. And so being the overachiever Scots that we are, we trade for battle. I said, Robert, we're shooting the maximum distance, and he's good. Robert's on the marksmanship team at Liberty University. So we're practicing. This is last uh, fall, winter when he was home on break. You can see it's kind of snowy. And you see that arrow. Now you see next to Robert where the other arrow is. That's actually a tablet. We have a wireless connection to a camera because can you see the bullseye at that distance? No way. You can barely see the paper it's on. Through the scope you can see, but it's, it's pretty far. And so Robert there, if he shoots maybe a, a group of 10 shots, how many shots do you think somebody, even a skilled marksman, gets, on the, uh, gets a bullseye with at that distance? Seven would be good. That would be good. We'll take seven. Yeah, you should be able to shoot about seven out of ten at that distance. Now, do you think that happens right away when you're not warmed up? No. Do you think as you get older that gets harder? Yeah, let me tell you that. Okay, right. So the idea of sin, armatia, it's the idea of if God's heart... If God's desire is the bullseye in all of the universe, and it is, sin is any time we don't hit the bullseye dead center in our thoughts, our words, and our actions, our deeds. How many of us have done that already today? You are correct. You are correct. Me too. And so Paul wanted them to understand, we all miss God's heart what we think. And you don't even mean to do it. You're in the supermarket. Someone runs over your feet with one of those big shopping carts at Costco or whatever. And you go, and you don't even think it. But in your mind, like it says, if you think about killing somebody, you might as well have done it. I drive on Route 8. I know what this feels like. <laughs> right? All of us have sinned. None of us hit the exact bullseye. We don't. We don't do it. 
And so Paul says to the Jewish believers, don't look down on the Gentiles. And I say to the Gentile believers, don't look down on the pagans and the people that don't even know Jesus. Don't do that comparison. Don't do that pointing. He says all of us, as it goes on into the book, he says all of us are called into a new life in Christ because Christ is the center of the story of redemption as we talked about at Easter, not us. Not us. And he makes these arguments through the book of Romans. He wants them to understand, no, 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 no. And so some Christians say, okay, well, since it's about Jesus... Well, you know, maybe I should do a little more, you know. And it's like this idea of, I, I used to call this testimony crimes. You know what, I'm really good. My, you know, someone gives their testimony at a Bible study. You know, I, was, I have a friend who was literally at the end of their lives in a drug house and came back to the Lord and they have a great testimony. I don't have that kind of testimony. I was the kid that other parents checked with to make sure I was going to the party to know if it was okay. I was that kid. I'm the boring kid right? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you just grew up in that good home. Maybe you, even though you're not perfect, you were kind of the rule follower, and so you're not that kid. And so sometimes Paul says people will say, well, you know, people really like to applaud when someone was like, you know, on death row and came to Jesus, and somehow they got paroled, and now they're a minister, and we had some stories in the news of folks like that recently, and those are great stories when God changes somebody's lives. And so if God's going to forgive us, if God's grace is that big, if we're all messed up anyhow and God's going to love us and welcome us in, then maybe we should just keep going with that. It's like this. When I was 17, I had a car and I wrecked it. Bad. And it wasn't my fault. Now, I had already wrecked two cars in a week that were my fault when I was 16. <laughs> Told you that about, about that before once. But this is when I was older and I... I wasn't my fault. The car in front of me caused the accident. My car flipped over a hill and hit a tree and bent around the tree. And it was a horrible accident. And I crawled out of the car. And I thought the same thing every teenage boy thinks. My dad is going to kill me. It doesn't matter if it's my fault. It doesn't matter if it's not my fault. He's going to kill No. My dad comes up to the accident. They, you know, they called him. The police got there. Other car got stopped. The other guy was crying because he thought he was going to go to jail because it was his fault. And and my dad came running up, and I started stammering out, Dad, Dad, do you never believe what you did? He stopped me and just hugged me. He said, it's all right. Cars we can replace, kids we can't. It's all right. He didn't even, I didn't even get to explain anything. That, dads, just so you know, those are the moments when God's grace comes through in those relationships that we were talking about a minute ago. And when you feel that grace that way, when you understand that acceptance, it lets you understand how God is a little more. And that's the grace of God at work. But sometimes we think, well, if God's going to love us anyhow, if our, if our lives are like that car I had when I was 17, we're like, well, I might as well amazing story. And then God can be all that more graceful and loving and just wrap his arms around me. And Paul says, no, no, no. He says, we're not going to continue in sin. Romans 6, 1. He says, no, no, no. That's not what it's about because it's about, like I said, your heart. And when you're loved that way, when you're embraced that way, you don't want to keep living that way. And Paul says, no, no, whenever we have that sin nature, we don't want to sin that way because when we understand God's grace, when we understand that we're not under that law but under God's grace, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. And Paul's making these arguments throughout the book of Romans. You know, see, the law, the written word of God, the Old Testament rules, nobody kept them perfectly. Nobody hit the bullseye. And all the folks in Jesus' day, all those folks that sent him to the cross, they had a rule for this, a rule for that. Don't do this, don't do that. But no matter how perfectly they kept those rules, it wasn't enough. 
Nobody hits the bullseye 100% of the time, dead center. That's what sin does. And so they said, no, no, it's not like that. It's not about that. It's not about us. It's not about our perfection. But in reality, it's not about having a cooler story. We can say, well, God could get more out of this if I messed everything up. It's not that way at all. It's not the way it works. What Jesus is telling us is, you don't want to sin more once you know me, and you have the power when you know me to sin less. Did anybody lose power when we had those windstorms a couple weeks ago? It's like this. If your power goes out when you have a big windstorm like we had, your family can come to you and say, hey, Dad, we want to watch Netflix or whatever you do at your house. Maybe you still use a VCR. Good for you. I don't know. And you say, guys, we can't. I can hit the remote on this TV a hundred times, but it's not going to come on because we don't have any power. But we have God's grace. We have God's love. We have God's mercy. You see, the law tells us that we're a sinner. God's word shows us that we're a sinner. It's a ruler that we put up on that target, that bullseye. It's like the camera that I had on that target whenever we are shooting at the target. I can go out and measure and say, all right, we're off the bullseye by this far. And you're frustrated. You're like, I'm trying my best, but I can't hit that bullseye. And the law's not a bad thing because it shows us that we're not lined up with what God's heart's lined up with. The rules, the right and wrong, the good and bad of God's word, it's not a bad thing. But if it's all we've got, all you live in is failure and frustration. Does that make sense to everyone? You live in failure and frustration because you never quite hit the target. And so sometimes you get wound up and you're like, well, I'll just, I'll come up with a bigger story where God can, can come up with work because I want people to see how far I've come towards that bullseye. I want them to see how close I've gotten. And Paul says, no, no, it's not about any of that. In fact, I'm going to give you a different analogy and that leads us to what he's talking about today. He wants to talk to us about relationships and marriage. And he wants us to understand there's something we say in marriage, and we said it yesterday, and it's till death do us right. The lifelong commitment to marriage. We know it doesn't always happen. But this is about relationships. And if you have a tough marriage relationship, just a little bit of a thing here. We are not giving you the plot to a lifetime movie to off your spouse. This is not a prescription in this passage in Romans 7 for marriage, God's grace can change relationships. If, you're, if your relationship needs some work or if you need to talk to somebody, give me a call. We've all been there. Okay? Good. Okay, good. We all, this is not a thing that says if you're in a terrible relationship, you have to stay in it until you die. Paul is not talking about marriage. He's using marriage as, a, as an analogy for spiritual life. But here's the idea. If I'm married to Mandy and I decide that I, I meet a beautiful lady and I like her and I want to run off and have a life with her. I'm an adulterer if I do that, right? By the way, this is not some kind of a hint and I am not doing this, just so we don't get weird emails. I'm not doing that, all right? But if, heaven forbid, you know, I get hit by a dump truck, Mandy is free and she sees some guy at the gym and he's got those skinny jeans that I can't wear and beautiful hair that I don't have, and she goes, you know what? It's time to move on with my life. You know, she sees like a Chris Hemsworth, Thor kind of a guy, right? I, I'd be like in heaven, like, I get it. He's a stud, all right. Okay. So, if 
I'm gone and with Jesus, and she decides that she and Chris Hemsworth are going to get married. Good for her. Right? He's a beautiful man. All right. Death changes relationships. And Paul says this idea of sin and life and spirituality, death changes relationships. You can only be married to one person at a time. And Paul says that if you're married to the law, if you're married to the law, to that Old Testament law, if you're going to be married to that, what you're going to find out, it's a terrible relationship. Have you ever, maybe you did this as a parent or when you were a teenager or a young adult, your parents or grandparents did it to you and they said that relationship's no good for you. It actually, if that's all you're going to be in that relationship, it's going to bring out the worst in you. Everybody know what I'm talking about? This idea of relationships that you can only be married to one person at a time. You can be married to God's grace and to God's righteousness, to Christ's righteousness, like we talked about at Easter, or to the law and self-righteousness. Here's why the law is a bad relationship. The law is a magnifying glass on your sin, on your brokenness, on how far you're missing the target. That's what it is. It brings two things up in you whenever you... It's not that it's bad. You need to see where God's heart is. That's where you want to aim. But if you think by working harder, you're going to get there, it's not how it happens. Because you don't have that righteousness. You don't have that power. It's like the TV without electricity. It's not how it works. It only frustrates you. It brings two things into your life. Self-righteousness and rebellion. Self-righteousness and rebellion. That's what happens with the law, self-righteousness and rebellion. Let me give you a, a couple examples of this. My mom told me when I was a teenager, I was a skateboarder for many years. And when I used to ride my skateboard, I lived in Pennsylvania. We had these things, they are called hills and mountains. And I lived on the highest hill in my town. I can see the whole town down below me, the little, little mill town where I grew up in Pennsylvania. So my mom tells me one day, do not ride your skateboard down, it was the main street, down the street which meant down to the downtown, down the hill. I'm 14 years old. I'm getting good on my skateboard. I'm practicing. What's the first thing I wanted to do? I am doing my best Tony Hawk down the hill at the speed of sound. And God bless my poor father again, my loving father, who was so, you guys never got to meet my dad. He was the kindest man. And he's coming up the hill after a long day of working as, as, at the bank. He's a CPA. My dad's coming up the hill. It was, Ryan, it was probably tax season, so, you know, it was, it was the end of tax season. All he needed was to see me in a full tuck at about 20 miles an hour flying down that hill on my skateboard. And I see my dad bust a U-turn and come flying down the hill after me. And he pulls over. He goes, get in this car before your mother finds out what just happened. <laughs> but it was too late. Somebody saw me, phone and ran. You know, how, this is weird in the world today. The phone would ring. Another mom would see me. And before I got home, it's like my mother was clairvoyant. I would walk in the door and see this. I'd go in, I'd go, hey, how you doing? And my mom would go, how are you doing? And she'd look at my father and say, I'll talk to you in a minute. Because she knew that he had brought me home, so he knew where I was. My poor dad. And it was just, the law, though makes us want to rebel. It's part of our sin nature. When we know where the line is, what do we do? We step over it. God puts those lines. He puts those guardrails up. He puts those things because there's sin leads to death. 
We're all sin. The wages of sin and death. We learn that as well. You get over that, blam. But it doesn't just lead us to that rebellion. It leads us to that self-righteousness. It leads us to that self-righteousness. See, those sinful passions, it says in Romans 7, they're aroused by the law. Because when we know, we feel two things. The the desire to rebel against it, and then to justify what we've done. Self-righteousness. If you had two siblings in your house, one of them probably does this to the other one. I know you're not allowed to say this, but you love me more than them. Because they ride their skateboard down the hill when you tell them not to. And Paul's saying the church, to those relationships, we're all sinful, we all fall short. None of us get it right, but we have that desire to disobey. That's what the Jewish Christians were saying. Well, you know, we're we're the good kids. No, none of us are perfect, but we're the good kids. Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't start comparing yourself. The hardest thing for us to do in accepting God's grace and resting in it is Paul wants us to say, you've got to be married to it. It's like that lifelong relationship where you realize you married up. You got this relationship. You've got this grace. You've got this going for you because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And we struggle with that. We struggle with that because it's not that the law doesn't matter, but we're not under the penalty of it anymore. And what Paul wants us to understand is there's a difference between trying to get there by keeping all the rules and by behaving a certain way. It's another thing to understand the heart of relationships and belonging to God. That God's spirit dwells in our hearts. It's like the electricity gets turned back on. We can flip the switch and be more obedient. It's not like when the storm comes and there's no power. God says, no, now you have my spirit. You have this opportunity. And that flies in the face of who we are. You see, in 1952, Betty Crocker came out with the first cake mix. Here's a way to understand this. And some of you guys may know this story, right? Betty Crocker came out with this instant cake mix. And if you mix water with it, you get a moist, tender, I don't know if it was like real cake, cake cake-like substance, whatever, Blammo, you got a cake, it would rise, it was delicious every time. Something about the product you should know, it bombed, nobody bought it. Nobody bought it. Why didn't people buy it? Too easy. It was too easy. So they did a bunch of focus groups, they changed it. You had to add an egg and some oil and some other things and mix it all up. And then, blammo, then you got pretty much the same thing. And that product caught on and sold amazingly well. Why did people want to do more work? Why? Why do we want to do something to earn our salvation? You see, God's grace is always in conflict with us. It's always in conflict, and it leads us to our understanding today, what I want you to understand. We're going to define our relationship. We're going to define our marriage. This is your spiritual premarital counseling between you and Christ. If you already know Jesus, this is your marriage tune-up. We're kind of at a spiritual retreat here for this, this idea that we need God's spirit, that we need, as Paul wants us to understand, that our relationship with Christ, with Jesus, we're going to ask you two questions here today. Who am I married to in my heart, in my spiritual life? My sinfulness, my missing the target kind of life. Am I married to demand and duty, and that's the law, or am I married to desire and delight? Which one am I married to? Am I under the law and under behavior where I've got to get it right, 
where I have to have perfect obedience, where I have to hit the bullseye, when it never works, when I have to get it over and over again, when I have to look like I'm getting everything right. You see, the problem with that is duty will keep you moving in life. Doing something because you feel like you got to do it will keep you moving. But it will never give you life. It will never give you life. That demand that the law places hits the target every time. Or desire and delight. And this is what Paul's talking about with grace. You see, God doesn't want duty or behavior. He wants your heart. That's why Paul's using this marriage analogy. Our heart's desire is what really matters to Jesus. That's what he really wants. He wants our heart. Is your heart alive with love for Christ or is it dead? And that may feel wrong. It may feel difficult to us. But look what God has always said in his word. Look back at Isaiah 29. The Lord said, this people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips. But while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Do you want to do right because you love God or because you're afraid that God's going to send you to hell? What fuels your relationship? Because one is duty and the other one is delight. One of them is demand, and the other one is a desire, a genuine want to make things differently. If you're just behaving to get something, to avoid going somewhere, if you think because you come to church and follow the rules that God is going to take better care of you, that he took care of his closest friends on earth, if you know how their lives went in the rest of the New Testament, it's like this in marriage. If I'm married to Mandy, and I say, Honey, I love you, but I'm really here because i got to be here. How's that going to go for me? You're going to find me in a shallow grave in Trumbull County in the next 48 hours. And to be honest, I earned it, right? Guys, you know we're not allowed to do that, and it's not right to even think it or to feel it. But God is calling us to a life where we delight in him, where we understand he paid the price, we're free, we want to serve him, we want to follow him. That's what Paul wants us to understand in the book of Romans. It's not about keeping all the rules, it's about a relationship where there's love and grace, and the more you're with someone, the more you love them, the more you want to do what's right, the more you want to be a part of them. God doesn't want your tithe because he demands it, he wants it because it's what he gives God doesn't want you to come to church and volunteer because you feel like, oh no, if I don't do it, the end of the world is going to come. He wants you to come to church because we have fun even when we're doing things together that are hard. God wants us to do these things out of the delight. People say, why do churches grow and not grow? Because the people there, their hearts are devoted to God and they love to serve and care. And they're focused on what God's heart is focused on. There's life there. There's not the reminder of how we're not good enough. It's not that we don't have it all together. It's not that there aren't rules. It's not that there aren't boundaries. But we're beyond just looking at the rules. We know we missed the mark, but we know that Jesus hits the mark for us every single time. This week, maybe it's time to make a list of how your heart is or is not married to Jesus. When someone at church asks you to do something, is your first response, oh, no. Not again. For us as church leaders, do the things we do draw us to where God's heart is? Are we aiming that bullseye 
on the heart of Christ and where he wants us to go. Because when churches do that and people do that, churches grow. It's that simple. Maybe today you realize you never gave your heart to Jesus. You thought you had to keep all the rules. I've got good news for you. All you have to do is surrender to Jesus. To understand, like a good marriage, it's going to grow deeper and better and stronger over time. People that have been married 20, 30, 40 years. Last night at the marriage, they had that dance where people have to leave the dance floor. It's a really cruel thing because the older you get, the longer you're on the dance floor and the less your knees want you to be on the dance floor. <laughs> I said to Mandy last night, I realized we were, you know, they said, okay, 20 years or so. And Mandy and I are out there and we're like, yo, we're way, because we got married young. We're like the youngest people out here right now. What's happening? This just changed for us. But like a good marriage, the longer you walk with Christ, the more you desire and love and just enjoy that. My wife and I have fun going to Aldi. You got to bag your own groceries. You have to take a quarter up to get a shopping cart. But darn it, we have fun. Why is that? Because the longer you walk with someone and love them, Paul's, Paul's right. Walking with Jesus is like a good marriage. You do the little things because you love being with the person. You love walking with God, talking with God. You love being a part. Your heart belongs to him. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon said it this way. A person who is really saved by grace does not need to be told that he is under solemn obligations to serve Christ. The new life within him tells him that. Instead of regarding it as a burden, he gladly surrenders himself, body, soul, and spirit, to the Lord. Friends, are you under duty and demand? Or are you delighting? Are you passionately desiring to follow, follow God because you're thankful for the cross. You're thankful for what it means. When God says, welcome, you belong here, you're mine. Have you surrendered it all to him? Or do you still think you have something to prove? Write that down this week. Think about it. What it means to belong completely, heart to heart, with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this day that we would understand what it means to have a relationship that's built on delight. And God, just like a good marriage, we know it doesn't just bless us, it doesn't just bless you, Father, it blesses others around us because of who we are and how we live, the attitude of our hearts, even when things are difficult, that your spirit gives us that power that we're plugged in, that we don't have to do it on our own, that we don't have to worry about hitting the target, we're just there firing away in life, doing the best we can because we belong more and more to you. God, that we as leaders would understand what it means to follow your heart where you lead us. And God, that we would guide others along that journey. And Father, for each one of us, that we would understand what it means to lay down our burdens, to understand that we, we don't have to worry about the fact that we miss all the time. It's that we belong more completely and more fully to you because when that happens, God, you not only give us your spirit and your power, you not only guide us that desire to obey, that desire to be more yours, the, the desire to deal with those hurtful things, those painful things, those broken things. God, we know you love us and we, we walk closer and closer to you. It's like as the years go on, we're not perfect, but you shape us little by little to be more your children. God, guide us into that, that we would know what it means to belong to you this day. That we would even take time this week to reflect 
on where we're not surrendering, where we still think we've got something to prove in our lives. God, I pray we would all do this in Jesus' name.